Thank you, gentlemen, ushers. Those of you, yep, you're already headed to small groups. All right, I see you. I think next Tuesday uh, is our last small group until the new year. And then we're gonna spin right into 21 days of prayer through the month of January. I'm really excited about that. I'd like, if, if you're wanting to be a part of that, it's gonna be a little different than it's been before, but I'd really like you guys to start setting your thoughts on what it is that you want to see happen over 21 days of prayer. What is it? You know, sometimes if we just go into something with no expectation, I think of the gym. If we go in with no expectation, do we really achieve what it was that we were after, right? And I think if we set our focus on something, then we have a much better chance of actually applying ourselves for 21 days to get a different response, amen? So if you would, just start giving a little bit of thought about that. I know I'm excited. I know Randy's already started thinking about what he is expecting from the Lord and what he wants to hear, um, some things he wants to hear about. And then pastor on Sundays in the month of January, we're gonna be teaching on prayer, fasting, and the word and what this three woven cord can do in your life and how to do it in our lives, right? It's important. And sometimes I think we just forget the power of fasting, you know, and I get it. I don't like fasting as much as anybody else doesn't, but I'll tell you this, it gets breakthrough. That's all there is to it. And uh, there's some things in life that sometimes you got to do, you don't like to do, we're going to do it. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to get started in the word. Um, I know they've got small groups tonight, so I got to get rolling. Um, Father, we just come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just give you myself, Father, in full surrender. Father, I ask that you prepare the hearts and the ears, Father, of each one of us that is listening in this house tonight. Father, that your word, Father, just like in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, Father, that they would go forth out of my mouth, Father, that they are the words of the Lord that are being spoke tonight. And Father, that they will not return void, but Father, they will do exactly what they were meant to do and bring forth fruit and growth in our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Okay, so pastor has um, said that we are speaking on a revolution of faith. And I asked him, I said, dad, how long are we gonna be preaching on this? He said, oh, I don't know, a year, two, three, however long it takes. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, every single topic in the Bible has faith woven through it. He said, and I feel that if we don't teach the congregation about faith, how will we ever make it through the last days if we don't have faith? And I said, amen, I take it. So tonight, there may be a lot of things that I say that you're like, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. But here's what I wanna say. Tonight I've come to have a pep rally for your faith. And I say that because oftentimes there's things that we forget. It's so simple. It's so easy. It's so ABC that sometimes we just dismiss it and say, yeah, I've heard that. But it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to grab it and do it. So we learned that the revolution means to cause a rebellion, to make a change, to make a sudden change, get so fed up that you are committed to making a change. We have rebellions in lots of places of our lives, but do we have a rebellion or a revolution of our faith where our faith changes where it's been? It's different today than it was yesterday. 
because we set our sights to it and purposed, it's gonna change. In a couple of my messages, I've asked you guys to repeat this. I'm gonna ask you again tonight because I think it's important that you say it and you hear it. I'm committed to changing my circumstances with faith. All right? We've learned throughout these faith messages that if you and I as believers in Christ do not apply our faith to life situations, then our lives don't change and the world has nothing to be drawn to us by. What makes us any different from the world if we walk through the same stuff the same way and have the same outcome as the world? Who wants to be a part of someone that proclaims this is a better way? This is the gospel. This is the way Jesus would have us do it. Yet there's no significant change in your life and you're still the same you were 10 years ago. That's why we need a revolution of faith in our lives. Because if all we do is say we have faith, but never act upon it, if all we do is say we believe, but never receive the fullness of faith in action, then do we really? Because the world is looking at us and asking, where is the church? Where is this savior that does miracle signs and wonders? Where is he? Because I hear you talk about him, but I don't see it happen in your life. But when they see and hear that Jesus is changing everything within, they will be drawn to who he is and they'll want this same change in their life. Dad's been using the word antidote. He's been using it actually in the generosity series. But I was thinking about it the other day that, you know, the antidote means it's the cure for sinfulness. It's the cure for sickness and disease. It's the reverse of cancer. The cure for emotional struggle and illness and any other thing that the enemy would bring our way. That's an antidote, right? A cure. But in reality, the antidote is Jesus. The antidote was the savior. He came to save us from all of this stuff. And when we speak the name Jesus, it has power. It's the antidote. He's the antidote. Jesus. Jesus. I've told the story before. My mother, we had a fire in our house and literally all she did was start screaming, Jesus, Jesus, she was so big, Jesus. No one said no prayer. No one said nothing. My dad literally went up to a pan on fire with an oven mint and went, walked out of our house and threw it out. The whole half of our house was burnt down, the whole half of our kitchen on Thanksgiving day. And literally my dad was not burned. His socks were singed from where the grease had hit his sock, but there was no burn on his foot. And all she did was scream the name Jesus over and over and over because there was power in his name. When we became born again, we did ABC. We accepted what we heard, we believed in Jesus, and then we confessed. It's called the ABC of salvation. That's what it's called. The same faith that, healed, that saved you and I when we accepted, believed, and confessed 
is the same faith that will walk you through your Christian life. Accept what the word said, believe it in your heart, and confess it with your mouth. It's the same ABCs. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter if you're a one-year Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a 365-year-old Christian. That's not even possible, is it? Not in today's world. We're guaranteed 72 years. All right, I get it. The point is, the same faith that saved us is the cure. It's the antidote today for the rest of our lives. Then we must accept what God says first. Then we believe and then we confess it. We say it out loud. Say it out loud. Genesis 1-3 says, and I don't even need to turn my Bible because it's a really short verse. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Now, how many of you think that was just a little flicker of light? No? No, you think it was light, like the earth lit up and you could now see in the darkness. It wasn't maybe there would be light. It wasn't that I'll give you a flicker of light. It said, and God said there was light. When we turn the lights on in the sanctuary, do we just, 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 just enough so you can manage your way through the sanctuary or do we turn the lights on so you can see? Hebrews 11, one through three reminds us that the universe was formed by the words of God at his command. But here's the deal. He spoke it, it was. There was creative power in the words of our God. But it didn't just stop there because he gave you and I that same creative power when we speak. When you and I speak. Speak what? When we speak the words that he spoke. Proverbs 18, 21, you've heard this over and over and over and over. Power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's you and I's tongue, right? But if we don't use our tongue, then where's the power? Did it say the power of life and death was in the mind? So we don't think about something we want to see done in the spiritual realm. We speak it forth. We confess it forth. If we have to believe in the Lord, accept the Lord, believe in the Lord, and confess with thy mouth, would we really be saved if we hadn't confessed? Is it enough if I went up to John and I said, Brother John, are you a Christian? And he went, Or would he go, yes, Nicole, I believe. Confess, open our mouths. And oftentimes we do not open our mouths because here's what happens. I, this is the only words I got for this message. Silence equals surrender. Your silence to the enemy means they're surrendering. If they ain't talking, 
They're caught up in their mind. I got them defeated because they're not speaking. Because when you speak the word of God, it's creating a different atmosphere. See, the devil is selling you something every day. And if you accept it, you believe it, and you confess it, it will be. But the Lord works the same way. He spoke it already to you and I in his written word. So if we accept what we read and we believe it in our hearts and then we begin to confess that which we have accepted and believed and begin to speak it forth, it begins to create what God said it would create. So if you're sick in your body and you know that it says by his stripes, I was healed, not I am, not I might be, not you could be, not you should have been, not you would have been, but you were healed, which is a past tense thing because it actually happened when Jesus went to the cross. He purchased and paid for everything you need to live your life out without disease and without sickness. Now we can accept that, we can believe it, but if we never confess it, do we really believe it? There's an action to faith. There's a language to faith. Here's what I think of. I think of toddlers. Sometimes as believers, I think that in certain parts of our lives we're growing up, but then there's other parts of our lives that we're still young in the faith or young in the Lord. And toddlers, if you've ever been around them, sometimes they'll point and they grunt and they don't use their words. <laughs> and I think of a story with Quentin and Lincoln and um, these are my two boys. And Lincoln is three years older than Quentin. And Quentin was about three, so that would have made Lincoln six. But Quentin was still um, addicted to his pacifier. He couldn't lose it for nothing in the world. And he would talk around it. I mean, he would hold it and chew on it. <laughs> and walk around, but not take it out when it came to talking so you couldn't understand him. And I'd say, take it out so I can hear what's happening. But him and Lincoln had this really, really close relationship because they played together all day long. And so Lincoln and him had their own language. Quentin would say something and I'd say, what did you say? Say it again, <laughs> take your pacifier out and say it. And then Lincoln would tell me and interpret exactly what Quentin said. And I said, you quit interpreting for him. <laughs> I want him to talk, be quiet. But it was crazy because they had their own type of language together. Faith has its own language. If you don't use the language of faith, then you don't get what you want. Did you hear me? Because acting like a toddler and pointing like this to God, storming around, throwing your fit. Doesn't move him at all. I just don't know why I didn't get it. Do you understand? But faith language moves him. When you use the words of God, when you see a struggle in your life, and you 
go to the word and you find out what it says about your struggle. And then you use what God said about your situation and confess it, it changes it. It changes the situation. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away those childish things. See, as we mature in our walk with the Lord, right now we're hearing what a faith language looks like. We're hearing that we accept, we believe, and we confess. Now, I'm gonna give you some bad news. You're responsible <laughs> to do with what we hear, right? It says in the Bible that for him to know to do right and not to do it, for him it is now sin. So you and I have a responsibility in this Christian faith. We don't get to just hear what we hear tonight and then go away and not apply it because we were taught and we know now what the word says about how to use our faith. So now that I'm growing in faith, I don't use childish things to do or to, to use or to tell God what I need. I use it to create life. I use it to create a rebellion from the old way I used to do things, I don't do it like that no more because that was the childish way. And I'm rebelling against what I knew and I'm accepting what God's word says and I'm applying it to my life and I'm shaking things up. I'm changing it. I'm changing it. See, sometimes when we get so fed up and we believe and accept and confess what God says, it changes the way we perceive our situation. How many of you get caught up sometimes in your own thoughts? Like you're just, you keep looking at this circumstance and you're like, you, you start reasoning. You're thinking of how God's gonna work around this and what he's gonna do. And you just get lost in that space. But when you speak what God says about your circumstances, and I get it, some of these circumstances that are staring us in the faith, face, honestly, every single day can bring fear and can bring worry, bring unrest, like they challenge our peace level, right? Have you ever had like this, this I don't know, it's just like one of my friends calls it an angst in your gut and it's just not right, right? That's, and sometimes when I'm thinking it over and over and over in my mind of what I can do to fix the situation or, or what I can do to maneuver out of this and do that and do that, it's anxiety. Because the devil's getting me all worked up about something that I can't fix. Only the Lord can and his word. But when I begin to speak what he says about what I'm feeling, about what I'm frustrated with, about what I'm confused about, about what my struggle is in life, about the sickness that you've been fighting so long, when you reserve and give yourself over to what God is saying and you speak it out of your mouth, all of a sudden God's perspective becomes your perspective. 
and he looks at your situation so different than you do. You know, sometimes I'm going to be honest with you, and some of us women probably more so than men, but I just feel like we can work up a whole lot of drama in a little bit of time. I can take something that was just meant to be this big, and before long, it's this big in my mind. And God's like, just come speak my word. Come look at what my word says. Come back, come back. It's really not that big. It's really not that big. I've got this. Relax. Because God's perspective is different than ours. God's perspective is, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Why are you concerned about your electric bill? I am the one who provided healing for your life. Why are you concerned about what tomorrow might bring with your health? When I've given you eternal life with me. I've provided healing. I've provided life giving blood. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Do you think Jesus walks around sick? No, 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 he don't. And so when we speak the word, we speak his perspective, a bigger, a more truthful, an absolute truthful perspective of our situation. This is, this is why sometimes that we are taught to hide the word of God in our hearts. You know, there's a scripture that says we write the word of God upon our hearts. We write it. It's so that you'll know it inside and out so that when you're tempted to look at your perspective, And when you're consumed with the thoughts of the way you see it, that those words will come up out of your spirit and say, no, but this is what God says. When was the last time that we as adults focused and learned and memorized a verse? I said this was going to be old school. I said this is going to take you back. And this is very generic ABCs. But memory verses just aren't for the kids in the children's church. The reason we teach the memory verses to our children is so that when they grow old, it will be written in their heart. It will be in them so that when the enemy comes with a perspective that is not a renewed mind, that is not God's plan for their life, that they'll rise up and go, no, that's not what God says. That must be a thought of the devil. Because I remember, this is what the word of the Lord would say. I can remember 2 Timothy 1.7. I was scared when I was a little kid. I don't know, I must have thought there were like people under my bed. It was weird. My mom said I was scared of everything. Everything that moved. If there wasn't a nightlight on, I was scared. Now, I'm not as scared of the dark now. That doesn't matter. I was then, but I know 2 Timothy 1, 7, like the front of my, it doesn't matter for God not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I would walk into my home as, I think I was about 10 or 11, and I would walk from the school home, which was about a block and a half, in a little dark, and I'm like, oh, for God not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And then I'd run, and then I'd walk, for God not giving me a spirit of fear. Because <laughs> I thought if I was running, that meant I was afraid. So I would walk a little bit so that God knew I was serious. <laughs> Memorize scripture. It's not just for children. 
When I was a child, I spake like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became older, I put away those things. See, we teach our children these things that they're going to need for their future. I think of when Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness. This was before his ministry, before he came out. And the devil came and tempted him three times. Jesus didn't say, oh, wait a minute. Let me go get my Bible and look, look that up real quick. He was ready for the fight when the fight came. He was ready to take what the devil was selling him and rewrite according to what the word of God and what God had told him. God sent him, I'm gonna tell you what I'm sending you for and here's the word that you need in order to fight the enemy. He's gonna come and when he comes, you need to be ready. It's not the walk of faith, it's not the sleep of faith, it's not the restful jogger's pace of faith, it's the fight of faith because the enemy's coming not to be kind, he's coming with a vengeance to take your life. He doesn't just want your kid's salvation. He doesn't stop at your marriage. He doesn't stop at sickness and illness. He takes you piece by piece until you stand up, stare him in the face and say no more because God says you cannot come nigh me anymore. Get out. And if you don't come so resolute, so fed up, so done with him coming, he literally does this inch by inch by inch by inch. And before you know it, he's got you peeled against the wall and you call on the elders of the church, don't worry, we come and pray for you and then you get fixed, it's fine. It's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. But if you don't give him an inch, he can't take the mile. But you gotta be ready to fight. You gotta be ready to fight. It's time that some of us have come up and that we seriously get so fed up that people around us notice something's different. Your children, when they come home for Thanksgiving, go, mom, I ain't never seen you so fed up with life the way it is and you're doing something different. What? What are you speaking? I'm telling you the outcome of what I expect because this is what God said. I've accepted it, I believe it, and now I'm confessing it. Even right out here in the open, I'm just gonna spit it out and say it because I really don't care what people think. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. The Lord said it, what he said he means, what he means he's gonna do, and that's it. Sooner or later, we have to come to that resolve. No bones about it. By design, I am naturally an introvert. I know some of you think, oh, that's crazy, Nicole. Listen, it is truth. When I was younger, I could not go up to a lady at a cash register and return a shirt. And my mom would have to stand around the corner and make me go. Because I was afraid to talk to people. I was afraid that she might get mad at me at the register because I didn't like the shirt because it didn't fit right. It was crazy. But my mom pushed me to do the things that I didn't want to do. But sometimes when the enemy comes with life circumstances, I was designed to be the introvert. God made me like that. He knew me. He made me out of my mother's womb. 
I was fearfully and wonderfully made and he knew every quirk about me and he was okay with it. And my mom thought the Lord needed a little bit of help and that I was too introverted. So get out there and do it. And thank God she did. But the point is, is sometimes when I'm in a spiritual battle, I go real inward and I get real quiet. That's not a gift. That's not a gift when it comes to fighting the devil because silence equals surrender. Silence means I'm no longer looking at God's perspective. I'm inside my head and I'm trying just to stay alive. I'm trying just to survive the combat in my mind of the devil. That's not where I need to be. It's not a good place to be. And if that's you, don't be afraid that's you. Tell your friends that's you. Tell your friends when you see me shut up, when I'm no longer confessing the word, when I'm going silent, tell me, get loud. Get loud. You cannot think silent when you're in a fight of faith. When you're in a fight of faith, it's time to get loud against the enemy and use the very word of God just like Jesus did against the devil when the tempter came. Not once, not twice, three times, and it said the devil left him for a while. Guess what? He was coming back. He was going to load his barrels, and he was going to come back. He was waiting for a day when he could find Jesus weak. He realized he had lost that battle. The devil is very patient, and he's not afraid to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. If you write nothing down tonight, write down silence equals surrender. I have to remind myself that I should speak to the mountain and it will be moved. Not think about the mountain and it will be moved. Not dwell on the mountain and it will be moved. Not try to figure out the mountain and how it's going to be moved. When, and here's one, and not to whine and point at the mountain. For all of us that are still toddlers in our faith, don't whine and point, that doesn't move Jesus. But I have to speak to the mountain that my ears would hear it with the language of faith and that then it would go and breathe into my heart and speak the creative power that God gave to me. Not to someone else, but to me. Look at yourself and say, to me. God gave you creative power in your mouth. And when you speak, things happen. Isaiah 55, 11. And I'm gonna read this out of the New King James Version. It says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what it please. And it shall prosper in the timing for which I sent it. I prayed that in the beginning. It's huge. Every word that the Lord sent, just like the rain comes down from heaven and goes to the earth, what does it do? Rain don't just come to come. It comes to water the earth. That was the purpose for rain. God tells us that in the verses before this. He said, just like the rain that I send, 
for a purpose, it won't evaporate and come back up to me until it first waters the earth. Has anyone ever seen a raindrop come halfway down before it hits your windshield and go right back up to the heaven? Never, it's impossible. Because God said every time it rains, it will go finish a purpose before it returns to me. Just like his word, the scripture says, if this is what it says, then when you speak the word, it will go forth and it will not return to God until it's done. God has no voided words in heaven. No voided words. Everything that he said in this word that we speak back out must go perform its job before it gets back to him. How would you like to be a word that had a job and didn't do it and go back upstairs and tell God, um, yeah, I just didn't want to do what you said. I don't think that'd go over real well. I don't think you tell God that you didn't do what it said it would do. God does not lie to you and I. His words don't return void. But if you don't speak them, the words are never released to go do what he commanded them to do. And they just sit there and they wait for you and I to use them. They just sit there and wait. And sometimes we get frustrated in sitting and waiting and pointing and whining and complaining that then we get aggravated so we start speaking negative things. We start accepting what the devil's telling us in our mind and we start believing those things and then we start confessing what he wants us to say. And then we're literally defeating our purpose because we're sowing bad seed and we're sowing good seed and now you just got a big field full of weeds because everybody knows that weeds grow faster than seeds, right? I'm gonna close with Matthew, the eighth chapter. And we're talking about the centurion. And that just means a Roman officer. And I'm gonna start in the fifth verse. It said, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. In other words, I understand. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell this one, come here and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jump down to the 13th verse and it says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, 
let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Sounds simple, right? The centurion accepted Jesus as the Christ. He had heard about these wonderful works that Jesus was doing in and throughout and around. He had accepted that Jesus was the man that could do it. And he believed it. So he goes and he says, look, can you do this? He confessed out loud. Jesus said, would you like me to go? He said, no, no, no. Just say the word and I know he'll be healed. Literally, he said what he knew Jesus would do out loud. And what happened? Jesus spoke the word and he was healed. The servant used the language of faith. The language of faith that confessed, that said, I'm going to speak what I hope or what I believe or what I have faith in that will happen. Because I've heard about you doing it around. I've seen somebody probably healed or heard the story of someone and I believe you're the Christ. And now I'm going to confess it. And I know if you'll just do it, then my servant will be healed wasn't even for himself. And in the Bible, we find that this is where Jesus says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. How amazing would it be? We're not in Israel. So that doesn't mean that we can't get an acclimate like that from the Lord. What if when we get to heaven, he says, I ain't found nobody in Bakken's with such great faith. What if that was our reward? Because we really took the word at face value. We really did accept that Christ went to the cross for you and I, and that Everything was completely finished on that day. And then we believed it. And we really did walk our lives out, confessing what the word of God says in our lives and had a revolution of faith. No longer was our faith, well, maybe, you know, sometimes it works like this and sometimes, like, but every time, Left and right, God's moving and shaking things up. And people are like, how is this happening in your life? Because I got serious about what I believed and I started confessing what God said. I took me out of the picture. I took my thoughts out. I took my words out. I took my frustration out. I took my inability to wait out. I took everything that had to do with me and threw it away and said, all I'm going to do is live on every word that comes out of his mouth. That's what shaking things up in our life is going to take. I want the fullness of what God has for us in the spirit. Amen. I don't want just some faith. I want the fullness of faith. I want great faith. I want to take the Lord at his word and him say it, me believe it, 
and confess it. Amen? Stand to your feet. Silence equals surrender. You can remember that if you remember nothing else. Silence equals surrender to the devil. And when you and I are silenced in our faith, if he can shut us up and get us whining and complaining and pointing and grunting like a child, he's got us right where he wants us. But if we'll just begin to speak like God created us to speak, not what we know, but what he knows, then we shall live. Amen? Father, we just come before you tonight. And God, I count it an honor, Lord, that you would share with us tonight, Father, that you went and sent your son to the cross for us, God. Father, it was not for naught. We don't take it lightly. Father, we accept We accept it. We accept what you gave us, Father, and we believe in the Son of God. And because we believe it, God, we will begin to live off of every word that has come out of your mouth and apply it to our life situation. Father, those of us that have been silenced by the enemy, Father, give them their voice back. Give, stir the faith within them. Stir the faith within them, Father. Remind them, God, of the words that you've spoken. Father, memory verses as a child, Father. Let it come back to their heart, Father. Words that were written, Father, that they've forgotten. Father, bring them back. Quicken their spirits. Quicken their minds. Lord, that they would fight a good fight of faith in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you would ignite a diligent heart a diligent heart in every single one of us. Father, that we would become diligent with the things of the word and of the Lord. Father, that we would not take the battles of this life so so easy, but God, we would become rebellious in the fact that we refuse to receive what the devil is sending our way. And we're not just gonna try to ride it out, but we're gonna run him out in the name of Jesus. Father, arrest us this week. Father, show us, Father, where our faith has just become eh. And set us on fire once again, God, to fight, God, for what you already paid the price for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Woo! All right, well, you are dismissed.